Welcome to the Elk Talk Podcast with Randy Newberg and Corey Jacobson. Presented by the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. The goal is what little you and I know about elk hunting, we share with people. I've got an elk building, it's like 120 yards away. What do I do? First off, the thought would never cross my mind when an elk being 120 yards away to call anybody on a cell phone. <laughs> All elk. All the time. Only elk. Only elk. Well, it's us having conversations. So we usually go down some rabbit holes. But if you hunt with Corey Jacobson, you will find the landscape is full of rabbit holes. We're just going to make this up as we go. And you look at it like, oh, that's a target-rich environment. But if you're trying to single one out, a solo target there is much easier to go into than a, a big group. Well, we record everything, so there's no BS and no lying, no faking it with us. <laughs> Did we hit the record I button? I forgot to hit the record <laughs> button. If you want to know something about elk hunting, this probably isn't a podcast to listen to. <laughs> Should we give them a list of all the other podcasts well. where they might learn something? <laughs> The Elk Talk Podcast is brought to you by the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, ensuring the future of elk, other wildlife, their habitat, and our hunting heritage. To become a member, go to rmef.org. The Elk Talk Podcast is also brought to you by Mountain Ops, making outdoor energy and performance nutrition to make you a stronger and healthier elk hunter. They have a full line of hunting-related supplements, including meal replacement shakes, multivitamins, pre-workout fuel, and post-workout recovery, and my favorite, their new performance protein bars that, by the way, are packed with 270 calories and 20 grams of protein, but contain less than 6 grams of sugar. Visit mountainops.com to learn more and to order, and be sure to use the promo code ELKTALK to save on your next order. The podcast is also brought to you by Gerber. Uh, go to gerbergear.com and learn about the knives, the vital, the big game vital, the Gator Premium, all the things that we use when we're out in the woods, and not just knives, but also some really cool multi-tools that they have. And we have a promo code for Gerber as well. Just use the code ELKTALK to save 20% on your orders at gerbergear.com. And we are also brought to you by Rocky Mountain Hunting Calls. And Rocky Mountain Hunting Calls is the original designer and inventor of the pallet plate diaphragm that's completely changed the way elk calls are made and used. And to find out more and to order your elk calls, go to RockyMountainHuntingCalls.com or BuglingBull.com and use promo code ELKTALK and you're going to save 15% on all of your elk calls and elk call accessories. The Elk Talk Podcast is also brought to you by GoHunt.com. Uh, go to GoHunt.com and sign up for the Insider. The Insider is changing how hunts and hunting information are found. No doubt about that. Use promo code ELKTALK, and when you do, when you sign up for the Insider, you're going to get $50 of store credit, mad money, in their gear shop. Lastly, the University of Elk Hunting online course is a proud partner of the Elk Talk podcast. And within the University of Elk Hunting online course, you're going to find nearly 60 chapters organized in 17 modules of elk hunting instruction aimed at making you a more successful elk hunter. From planning and e-scouting to calling strategies and packing, 
Every imaginable elk hunting topic is included in the online course. And regardless of your previous elk hunting experience or success, I'm confident the University of Elk Hunting online course will make you a more confident, more successful elk hunter. Just visit elk101.com and use the promo code ELKTALK to save 20% when you sign up for a membership to the University of Elk Hunting online course. And with that, Corey, we are ready to get into it. Let's jump into it. Hey, Corey, is it as hot in central Idaho today as it is in Montana? <laughs> well, the uh, the sad thing is somehow my heater in my office kicked on. I've what? been gone. Yeah, I've been gone the last two days, and I don't know what happened. <laughs> but I came in this morning. It was about 83 degrees in my office, and I opened the door thinking that would cool it down, and it didn't. So, yeah, the answer is it's it's hot and it's probably a little hotter than it should be inside my office today. Wow. It's, uh, it's in the nineties here in Bozeman, which is, I didn't move here to have 90 degree temperatures, man. I, yeah. Oh, well, it's body heat from all the people that are moving there. They're raising the temperature. (laughs) I don't know. Did, Did I tell you the story about there were, uh, three women getting off the airplane when i flew home a couple weeks ago and i helped i so they're all about my age maybe a little older and one was struggling to get her bags uh, out of the overhead i'm like let me get that for you ma'am and i got it for you for her and so we're walking off the airplane and walking down the 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 whatever you want to call you know the hallway that leads to the baggage claim and she's like are you from around here i'm like yeah i live here She's like, I am so glad I'm moving here. People are so nice. (laughs) And it hit me that I should have either pushed her down or slammed her hand in the overhead or something and said, look, I live in Bozeman. I don't want you people here. Uh, And so I'm like, oh, you know, where are you from? She told me. She's like, yeah, my two girlfriends are coming behind. All three of us, we're all moving here because one of our friends just moved here and she loves it. And we're, we're here house hunting. I'm like, dang it. I should have. There was my chance to deter four people from, or at least three of them from moving here. But I am on my. You said something like, oh, that's great. That'll uh, decrease my chances of getting attacked by a grizzly bear because they just roam the town. You know, (laughs) got to be really careful of grizzly bears riding town. (laughs) But I, I I am all, my wife is, even she's getting annoyed by my other stunt. So for about the last two years, Uh, if you drive out to my house, it's one of the main roads going south of town. The speed limit is 60. I drive 45, whether out to my house or into town. And people just get fried, steamed, <laughs> mad. And a lot of them, I, you know, you can see it says whatever dealership salt lake city or austin texas whatever so even though they might have newly minted montana plates you can tell they're from out of, out of town and so i'm doing my civic part to discourage people from thinking bozeman is up up to speed it literally and figuratively so so you know, you've got I, be, I almost you've got to be careful because yeah. i was in bozeman last summer Mm-hmm. And we got behind one of those vehicles that was going really slow. Mm-hmm. And he was doing 25 and a 35. Oh, and there that's was me. 
well, there was a vehicle right behind him, and then we were behind that one. And uh-huh. the vehicle right in front of us decided he was going to pass this guy that yep. was doing 25. So he stomped on his truck, got over in the passing lane, and went to take off. Well, the driver in front, who was going slow, saw there was a vehicle coming. So he swerved over in the lane so this guy wasn't able to pass him to prevent him from hitting this vehicle head on. Yeah. Well, that the guy that was trying to pass wasn't having any of that and we really? watched we watched as three hammers got thrown out the window of the second truck at the first truck over the next mile and a half driving down the road the guy in front Jeez. of us must have been a construction worker and had a bag of hammers in his front seat <laughs> because he literally, I mean, the first one he was driving and he hangs out the window as he's driving, you know, arms still on the steering wheel, hanging out the window, left-handed, lines up and throws a hammer at the truck in front of him and, and barely misses. Then wow. they get to a stop sign and he pulls oh. up alongside him there and pulls out another hammer and throws it at him and misses. <laughs> Then they come to an intersection where there's a four-lane highway that they have to either merge onto or cross. And uh, this guy with with the hammers pulls up alongside. The guy in front merges onto the four-lane highway. He throws another hammer and misses. (laughs) And completely blinded by his his fury, goes out into the middle of this four-lane road, still hanging out the window, before he slides back in and then darts across the road and somehow froggers across there and doesn't get T-boned. But wow, we just, I, and, and I was driving, Donnie was there with me and I can't believe he didn't pull out his camera, but it would have been viral <laughs> video to be able to see that road rage incident. Hammers were well, flying. See, you, you get, you introduce this tangent by talking that Bozeman's temperature is raising because of the body heat of all the people moving here. And now you've done exactly what I hoped you would do. You explained the road rage of Bozeman, Montana, the incorrigible people that live here, the temperamental nature of everybody. So don't move here. Yep. Corey's <laughs> example. I mean, we're, we're like the murder capital of Montana now. Well, between the grizzly bears and people throwing hammers. I mean, do you really want to live in Bozeman? No. So even though you used to tell me everyone you knew from Bozeman saw multiple 400-inch bull elk within well, 10 miles of town I'm every year. I'm pretty sure those are the people throwing hammers. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't want people moving there if I was. I, that's just going to encroach on my 400-inch elk opportunities. Yeah, but you, in your home state, Corey, got the award again this year as the fastest growing western state percentage wise so is that why the temperatures in boise are so high it is yeah i was down there for the last two days and i was glad to get back to the mountains where it's a balmy 85 88 degrees instead of that 104 that just man it's like an oven down there yeah well you guys can have them all you keep keep you know well uh, all the riffraff that comes this way we'll just say boise southwest you know <laughs> i might even buy him 20 dollars worth of gas well that'd be two gallons that wouldn't even go into idaho let alone no, that, uh-uh. <laughs> I, yeah what was i thinking all right i'll have to buy him 50 dollars worth of gas that'll at least get him to island park or something I say but, 20 dollars uh, won't even get you from bozeman to the airport no that's you know my wife was shopping for a crv the other day uh she's really into honda she's had three of them and uh 
I'm trying to talk her out of it. And the guy's like, well, what do you want for your trade in? And I joked to him. I said, well, it depends on if you want the tank full or empty. <laughs> <laughs> he looked, he's a young guy. He looked at me like, huh? <laughs> then he got it about uh, 10 minutes later. <laughs> anyhow, that has nothing to do with elk hunting. How Man, do, see where we go with this stuff. It's, can you, people, you know what I think people are saying, uh, listeners are thinking, how do these guys get any elk hunting done? They, going on an elk hunt with these guys must be like some sort of tour of America or something where they just decide once in a while to stop and call for an elk. <laughs> that, that pretty much sums it up when you hunt with Randy. <laughs> Looking for grouse, it's like, hey, can we uh, get back to elk hunting for a few minutes here? And, uh, there's, yeah. There's tangents. Well, have you looked at our moisture indexes this year across the West? I have it's not. Be, I have. It's going to be a bad grouse year. Really? Yeah. Wet well, springs like this are yeah. never a good grouse year. They, it's just too cold and damp for them. And uh, it also is cold and damp. And so the insect hatches are not nearly what they normally are, like grasshoppers and other stuff. So we're, we're looking at a bad grouse year. So I'll probably hmm. have to focus on, actually focus on an elk this year. Wow. So. But the good news of that is, looking at Arizona and New Mexico, I know it's way early in the in the monsoon season to be looking at this, but they have been getting some moisture. So well, hopefully, the, hopefully the monsoon, whatever you would call it, the the masters of the monsoon can dump on Arizona and New Mexico and Nevada, and Utah, Colorado. And, Get it I was gonna say, my, the, the info and intel I've been getting so far is uh, the area I'm going to be hunting this fall is not getting a lot of moisture right now. So Really? Hmm. Not getting that uh, far north, huh? Yep. That's, it seems like the, the highway through there is kind of the divider for the weather, and south of the hmm. highway is not getting it. So, Dang. But, well, I hope that all changes. We got some time to change here actually anyone who's interested there is a the NOAA national oceanic and atmospheric administration has maps about forecasts so let me look at the moisture forecast for those areas if you yeah. can believe a weatherman that that's <laughs> <laughs> come on <laughs> well, yeah, what's your can, statement on that a weatherman can be accurate what percentage yeah. of the time and still get paid yeah, oh, I don't even, I, I can't even figure out what that low percentage of of uh, correctness would be. <laughs> All right, I'm looking at estimate for the next five to seven days. Uh, let's see, next seven days. Uh, the White Mountains of Arizona are forecast to get anywhere from one to one and a half inches. The mountains of the San Juans of southwest Colorado, one to one and a half inches. Uh, Chama, the Vermeo, the Hickory of northern New Mexico is supposed to get the same. Uh, I wish I could tell you your unit in Colorado is supposed to get dumped on. It says one-tenth to one-quarter of an inch between now and <laughs> July 22nd. So... Southeast Arizona and Southwest New Mexico is supposed to get a lot. <laughs> Idaho, Eastern Oregon, Montana is supposed to be dry as a board. 
same with Nevada and uh, California. But as we said, you really can't put much faith in that. That's a forecast. I think some of these for some of these weather apps. They struggle to even tell you not just the forecast, but what the historical has been. Yeah. No, oh, well. that's well, we don't need to go into that because I mean, <laughs> you can't even plan anything around the weather. Ooh. It's hard to hard to plan. Can you can you imagine how foolish that would be to plan around the weather? The what yeah. the weatherman tells you? That that'd be like planning around what Randy Newberg told you about where to go hunting. <laughs> kind of like a, on the last podcast with you and Trail, right? I told you guys where to go hunting in Montana. <laughs> you guys saw mountain goats. So, yep. But, yep. Uh, going through the listener questions at uh, elktalkpodcast.com. I, I don't know why I struggle with that, Corey. I got to ask you every episode. I should just write it on my keyboard or something, but I think well, that's we, where we they... tried getting elktalk.com and it was some taco truck in central Oregon or something. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> like, what in the world? Why would they need that? But we, we had to settle for elktalkpodcast.com. So that's it's a mouthful, it. but okay. yeah, if you go there, you can just click the contact button and we've been getting, there's definitely, you can tell when draws are done and people are resorting to yeah. their scouting for over-the-counter planning and, and all of that. Because we've definitely been seeing an increase in those contacts and questions coming through. Yeah. So, a lot of them in this first batch of questions relate to Colorado archery seasons. And uh, they're mostly directed at you, which I'm thankful for. Um, <laughs> some of them are... I'm going to throw it all in the same mix. So Colorado archery season runs, what is it, September 2nd or something like that, third through, through the 30th. 30th, yeah. And so if I mashed all those questions together and made it one question, here's what it would say. Corey, when the Colorado, I go <laughs> uh, well, that's it. Uh, yeah. given, the col- given the Colorado elk seasons, consideration of the moon phases, the fact that it could be a dry year this year, and the fact <laughs> that there is a muzzleloader season when I wanted to go, when should I go archery elk hunting in Colorado? Yep. So I've got a, <laughs> I've got a response ready for that one. Uh, okay. It depends. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be a good accountant. <laughs> yeah. So the, Colorado, the, the thing that throws a wrench in Colorado is the muzzleloader season. Yeah. And muzzleloader season <clears throat> seems to coincide with just about the best week of, of rut activity for elk hunting. And some of those over-the-counter units can get hit pretty hard by muzzleloader hunters. So the season, I think this year is the 10th through the 18th, something like that. So, you know, into that third week, which typically that would be a pretty phenomenal week to hunt elk because the moon phase is getting really good. You've got a new moon on, I think, the 22nd, somewhere in there. So, you know, it's it's things line up really good calendar wise this year until you throw a muzzleloader season in there. So <laughs> the dilemma is, you know, if, if you're looking at the calendar for September 
You've got, uh, it opens on a Friday, so we'll say that first week of seasons, the second through the 10th. And then the, the second week would be the 10th through the 17th, the next week would be the 17th through the 24th, and then the, that last week, 24th through the 30th. The problem is if you hunt early, especially with it being hot and dry, you might not hear any bugles. Uh, mm-hmm. The elk aren't going to be really actively rutting yet. So that makes it tough. The other thing that makes it tough is you've got a terrible moon. You've got a full moon mm. during that second to 10th. So Ugh. hunting the second to 10th, really the only positive you have is you get to be there before the muzzleloader hunters. Yeah. But you're going to struggle with some early season factors that just are, are going to be tough to predict and overcome. Yeah. Then you've got the 10th through the 17th, which you'd be looking at going, ooh, that is, that's getting good. The The moon's getting good. It's that week leading up to the fall equinox. So rut activity should be kicking up. Those bigger bulls are going to be a little bit more responsive, uh, but they're going to be not herded up. So getting a, a bigger bull to come in, a more mature bull, you know, that's probably the week to do it. Hmm. but you've got a sea of orange with muzzleloader hunters <laughs> out there during that week. So I, I just, I don't understand. I would much rather take those guys and give them like the 24th to the 30th or something and let archery hunters have the second through the 24th uninterrupted by, by a muzzleloader season. But, you know, I think yeah. it, it really comes down to, you've got to look at some statistics. How hard does the area get hit by muzzleloader hunters? If it gets, if it's pretty popular, I would probably want to avoid those areas just because you're going to have a lot more people. You're going to be hearing muzzleloaders going off. The elk are definitely going to get pushed around and, and redistributed during that time. Then you get into the next week, which for me is is prime time this year. You know, the 17th through the 24th, you've got a new moon, you've got fall equinox, you've got just everything coming together there. So in most states, I would probably say, you know, for me, I'm going to hunt the 16th through the 24th on my controlled hunt in Colorado. That's the week that I'm picking to go. But I don't have to really worry about a whole lot of muzzleloader hunters in there because it's a controlled hunt and yeah. very limited number of muzzleloader hunters. So they're not really going to have a big effect on the elk being in there that week before I start. Over the counter, now you're hunting the best week as far as moon, the best week as far as rut kicking in. But you're also hunting an area that for the past eight days has been pushed around by muzzleloader hunters. So the elk have been disturbed, the activity's been increased, and now you're going in there. And then that leaves you with the last, you know, the 23rd, 24th through the 30th. Maybe there's a, the elk have settled down a little bit, haven't been as as pressured by the, you know, aren't affected by the pressure they saw. Uh, so a lot to consider hmm. there for Colorado. Well, <laughs> that that is a lot uh-oh Corey uh-oh. went on such a spiel i i gotta cut him off here he's on a coffin jag here he just got his water bottle see if you were my grandma harriet you would have lit up another palm all non-filter <clears throat> Gee. damn i needed something there something, something <laughs> dried me out it's just hot dry weather uh, yeah uh man i if i if we weren't doing this remotely i would have you know called 911 for you you should, the audience doesn't get to see this. You were over there trying your best to finish that segment. I and did. I could tell you either had to sneeze <laughs> or you were about ready to cough your, your lungs out. So, yeah. 
I'm you better bet. now. I, I'm well, right. well. We'll see. We might let you take the next question. <laughs> All right, I'll, I I can certainly take the next question because I'm going to stick to Colorado for right now. And those who have been paying attention, you know that I think it was in February, Colorado started doing focus groups about changes to their license distribution. They're calling it big game license distribution scoping period. It's their scoping period for how they might change this. And we're talking elk licenses, changes to resident, non-resident the allocation and they had some focus groups that were resident some that were non-resident the kind of a bit of everything uh different people who they've found through their database are primarily archery hunters our muzzleloader hunters rifle hunters hunt over the counter whatever they do and uh so they've come forward with what the they call it i think it's called their summary of comments and so they took all these comments and it's brought down into about a six-page document. And I would suggest if you're interested in elk hunting in Colorado, and I don't care if you're a resident or a non-resident, you go and read that because it's a little bit of a roadmap of what you can expect. And where can they go to, to read that? Oh, if you go to the Colorado Parks and Wildlife website, and there, I'm, I'm not going to give you this great big long 40-digit <laughs> URL, uh, but if you search for big game license distribution planning on their website, you know, the search bar, it'll show up. And maybe if you grabbed your your Google, uh, your Google would, would take you to the same place. But, so I'll, uh, I'll give you, I won't list out the URL, but if you go to cpw.state.co.us and then from the main page, click on things to do and then click on hunting and it's going to take you to the big game page. And about halfway down, there's a, a big section that says big game license distribution public process and that'll there take you, you there so yep so it's uh if you read the the summary the department has put out there it's kind of what you would expect right if you were a colorado resident like if i was a colorado resident i would be saying hey can we kind of start thinking about putting some caps on this over-the-counter stuff and do we really have to give non-residents this huge portion of our limited entry tags? And if I was a resident, I would say, well, look at how much money we contribute and look at how great we are for the West Slope economies in September, October, November. Uh, so it's it's pretty predictable what the scoping comments were. Uh, one thing that surprised me, because it was a train wreck when they did it, seven or eight years ago there's a bunch of people who say if we start transferring or shifting over from our right now they have a peer preference point system some of the thoughts were let's make half of those a random draw or whatever <laughs> uh a lot of folks are saying well we should go back to this point banking idea i'm like oh that was the dumbest idea so if you put in for a unit and you had 10 points, but it only took four, they let you keep your other six points. And it's like, that, that's as stupid as it gets. If, you know, if, and there were some other interesting comments that I would support in any state, I don't care what state it is, uh, that 
one of the suggestions that they scope people about was if you draw a tag or acquire a tag in any sort, way, shape, or form, you burn your points. Whether it's your first choice, second choice, third choice. Whether you got it through a landowner voucher or whatever. If you got it in the leftover draw, burns your points. That would take care of some point creep. Yeah. And uh, so I don't know that it'd take care of people at the top because people at the top are like, look, I'm not, I, I'm just holding out for the best of the best. But once you get through that top pile of people, that might be a way to address some of that. Um, but, you know, the Wyoming Wildlife Task Force is already considering this. We don't know. I think they're meeting again in August. Uh, and when they meet, uh, they're going to decide, are we going to go to 90-10 for deer, elk, and pronghorn in Wyoming? And if so, are we going to give the outfor- outfitters this 40 or 50% share of the non-resident tags? So, Yeah, so people- I mean, you just think, you do the math on that. It's hard. You look at Wyoming, let's just take the general elk license there yeah. as an example. You used to be able to draw that on yep. the special as a second choice. Yep. Then it became, you know, a little bit more popular, but you could still draw it with one point. Or, you know, yep. even before that, you could draw it with no points if you applied first choice. Yep. It takes three and a half to four points now to draw it on the special. Yep. And so let's just say, and that's with, you know, the current 80-20 split. Or let's just 80, 84-16. 84-16, yep. yep. So yep. 16%. So 100 tags. Let's say there's 100 tags. Non-residents get 16 of those. Yep. And it's taking three and a half to four points to draw on the special, which means you have to put up $1,372 to get that tag. Yeah. If they were to go to a 90-10, yep. now they're taking away 60% of those tags from us. Mm-hmm. But beyond that, they're looking at taking away another 50% and giving them to the outfitters to be able to control. So we're yep. going from 16 to four, five, six tags, which is, you yeah. know, we're looking a 75% decrease. That's going to quadruple the number of points that it yep. takes to draw. So now we're looking at 15 points for a general license in Wyoming. Yeah. So uh if we got rid of twenty-five percent or or whittled us down to twenty-five percent of the general quota uh that uh, you know under this thing, this formula, uh that's uh, you're going to need five plus points at least based on what the draw results were for the general tags in 2022. Yep. Uh, and you know how that gets also, it kind of becomes its own beast that feeds itself where people hit a bit of the panic button. So everybody starts jumping in. So that just climbs it higher. Well, just imagine somebody that's holding out for a tag that takes 10 points, and now it's reduced to 25% of those tags are now available. And they're like, I'm never going to reach it. Point creep is going to explode. It's going to double overnight. 
And then uh, all those people like, forget it. I'm not putting in any longer. I'm, I'm bailing. I'm going for the general tag. And yeah, like you said, it just, it becomes a beast and everything goes up in smoke. Yeah. But then, the, then you think about now all of these people who have been relying on, you know, you can draw Montana every other year. You can draw Wyoming every four years. Uh, Idaho's got a, a messed up lottery system now where they say, you know, it's over the counter, but it's not. It's a, it's a lim, it's, it's limited. You've got all that. So the only fallback right now is Colorado. And Colorado is doing this scope to get rid of over-the-counter opportunity. And that's what we talked about with trail. We're we're starting to see some of this political process actually come into fruition. And we're going to see some some big changes on the landscape, I think. Uh, We we are. And uh, I don't care how people want to look at it, blame or whatever. It has been a process that's been in the making. Well, Colorado has had a point system, I think, since 88. So what's that? Well, 34 years or something. In every year, there's point creep. There are just more applicants than there are tags. And there's new people jumping in, jumping in. And that's, uh, I've been in that system since 1995. So what's that, 29 of those years or something like that? And every year, it it happens. It's just a function of how much it happens. There were some years in 2008 and nine when the economy was in such bad shape that it flattened out. But one thing you find is a lot of people may not apply that year, but they'll buy their point. They want to, it's like, okay, I, I've got enough money to keep my place in line so that I don't fall back a point or two. So... Using Wyoming, here's the other statistic that people don't look at in terms of point creep. And this has been going on since Wyoming started their system. Their percentage of actual point holders, in other words, people who are in the system and sitting on some points, is about 150,000 going into the 2022 draw. Less than 20% of them, or it was 29,000 non-residents, actually applied for a tag (laughs) so the other 80 percent are just buying another point and buying another point and not showing up on the draw odds when you look at the draw odds they aren't even factored into that yeah so and this has been going on i mean wyoming now we're at this is the 17th year of their system it's been going on since the system started, but people were not paying attention to the point buying going on. But now that the point buyers are jumping off the sidelines and jumping into the game, everybody says, oh, look at this point creep. If you were paying attention (laughs) 10, 15, 17 years ago, you knew this was going to happen. And so when people are all surprised about it, I'm like... Okay, whatever. Numbers might not have been your strong suit. (laughs) (laughs) Coming from an accountant, I mean that's yeah. So I and I know some people are are mad because they were buying all these points. You know, let's say you jumped in four years ago, and you said, "Well, in 2022, I should have enough points to draw." Whatever. If if you did that based on thinking that this was going to stay static. You you weren't looking at a complete picture. You were looking at that year's draw odds. You weren't looking at this continued addition 
of the number of point buyers that have been going on in every system since time began. Colorado, 100% preference point. Wyoming, 75% preference point. Arizona, 20% of the tags are in effect preference point. Utah, 50% of them. Every one of those systems have followed the same exact path. Colorado was, quote unquote, the trailblazer, if you want (laughs) to call it that. They gave us the illustration of what this trend looks like. So please. Still kept jumping in. Yeah. Please go and look at the point pools of people who are just buying a point because that's your predictor of what the point creep's going to look like when you think you're in line for this tag. So what would happen if a state like, say, Arizona, Mm -hmm. they have all of these people that can just buy a bonus point. Mm -hmm. What happens if they decide, hey, we're going to wipe out bonus points. We're going to start over at square zero, and we're going to redo the system so that, you know, Point creep isn't as big of a deal. Yeah. What happens then? Is there any recourse right. from hunters who have spent the last 20 years buying a license for $160.75 or whatever it is and paying for a bonus point? I mean, we're talking thousands and thousands of dollars. Is there anything that would stop the state of Arizona from saying, we're getting rid of everybody's bonus points and starting back at ground zero? No. I mean, Wyoming, so look what Wyoming did with moose, goat, and sheep this year. They've already passed it. 25% of the tags previously went to non-residents. Now it's 10. And all the non-residents who've been buying points for 20 years, and these are expensive points. Yeah. The moose, goat, and sheep, well, I shouldn't say goat. Moose and sheep are the two that are subject to points. Goats don't have a point system in Wyoming. But these are like, hundred dollar points or so i bailed when they jumped the point cost from, to 40 or 50 <laughs> yeah i bailed i was like you know what i'm a tightwad account and i don't need to hunt wyoming moose or sheep that bad uh so a bunch of guys are like we're gonna sue wyoming we're gonna sue them for all look at what an investment we've made and now they're changing the game on us you know what good luck with that if you're mad about the money you blew or spent on bonus points that are now devalued in Wyoming, you're really going to be mad when you find out you just spent a bunch of money on legal fees that got you nowhere. Yeah. So no, I, I bring that up because I jumped in and checked my Montana Park and Wildlife account last week. I mm-hmm. noticed that my five preference points had disappeared, and I now have zero. Really? And I, and I didn't even apply. So. Yeah, you can't hold more than two preference points in the state of Montana as a non-resident now. And anybody who didn't apply this year that had more than two got knocked down to zero. So really? My five years of investing, which I, you know, somebody sent us an email and said, I know you guys, you know, don't agree with point systems and don't like, you know, don't play the point system. We play the game. We have to play the game. Right. We, we yeah. don't like it. But yeah, I've got points in a lot of places just because we have to. And I've invested, you know, I've got eight bonus points still in Montana for a special license, but mm-hmm. now I can't draw the combo license, which you have to have in order to put in for yeah. the special. And yeah, it's just these these systems are destined to fail, and they're de- they have to change. Mm-hmm. There's going to be right. changes, and every change is going to be painful. 
Yes. And that's why if ever you hear your state of Idaho, I'm sure you hear it every year when the draw results oh, yeah. come out, right? We need Push a point. Points. We need, yeah. <laughs> Gold look I'd, up, I'd be able to draw that hunt that's a 1% draw. I'd draw it in three years guaranteed with points. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Math really wasn't that person's main <laughs> subject. I mean, I look at a lot of the places I have points. And the non-resident draw odds are 1%. Okay. That means I'm, you know, statistically, probability says if I live another 100 years and apply, somewhere along that path, I should get my, you know, I might get that day. So you're saying I have a chance. Yeah. So <laughs> it, it cracks me up that people apply for units with single-digit odds. And they're just frustrated that they didn't draw within two years. Yeah. Hello. Let's go back. I mean, in sixth grade, when I, I, I mean, we got fractions in what, third or fourth grade? By sixth <laughs> grade, we we're already talking stats and probability a little bit. Uh, anyhow, my point of all this is, and I think your point that you were starting on is Wyoming is changing. Maybe we're going to see. If Colorado changes, it expect a point dump like you've never seen. Yeah. If Wyoming changes, expect a point dump where this 80% who have just been buying points, who are so far out on that point plank, they're gonna they're they're getting off the plank. And you knew this was coming. You could see it coming. And now with changes to the allocations, the chicken, the rooster is coming home. To roost. <laughs> so, uh, you know, this. Even, even for someone that doesn't know the difference between an acorn and a rabbit turd, <laughs> they've got to be able to see this. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's right oh. in front of us now. Yeah, Corey is reminding me of the last podcast when I admitted that as a youngster, I my uncles talked me into eating rabbit turds, telling me they were small acorns. <laughs> Maybe uh, I would have been better. Would have been better at math. You know, like uh, I think some of them are like Larry the Cable Guy. You know, he said my wife was good at math. I really wasn't good at math, so my son has a forty forty chance he'll be good at math. <laughs> <laughs> Most people got to think about that for a while. <laughs> so, uh, That's kind of how you have to look at draw odds anymore, too. But, yeah. So anyhow, folks, let's uh, if, let, let's let's jump off of the negative, mm-hmm. discouraging, horrible part <laughs> of elk hunting that seems to be uh, front of mind right now. Is there something like tactical we can talk about, or strategy, or? Well, that's, uh, that's all your – That uh, how about if we'd let them know that between July 15th and July 31st, our friends at Mountain Ops are giving them the deal of this entry? <laughs> There's some positive news. <laughs> 30, what is it, 30% off or something like that? Yeah, using our existing code. You don't even have to learn a new one. Just use the code ELKTALK and uh, 30% off and free shipping. And it's – And free shipping? Yeah, it's that site, joint, site-wide, no uh, exclusions. <laughs> And then they're giving away a Yeti cooler, a soft-sided Yeti cooler. And this is just among the group who uses the Elk, Elk Talk. Talk. Yeah, this isn't like Mountain Ops wide. This is just for our little group of 20 or 30 listeners that we've built yeah. up over the last several years. <laughs> uh, 
uh, yeah, we're get they get someone's getting a Yeti hopper, the M20. That it's like a soft sided uh, cooler. There, someone's going to get a 50 liter waterproof duffel. They call it the Panga. Which and then awesome. you're you're working on getting them a bow, right? Yeah, and then one of them's going to win a bow. So not only do you get thirty percent off and free shipping, which that's incentive enough. Especially yeah. if you haven't tried the cinnamon swirl protein bars. That's this is your opportunity to try it before they sell out at thirty percent off and free shipping. And as a bonus, some of our listeners are gonna win some really cool stuff. But you gotta act between July fifteenth and July thirty first. So yep. Uh, see, that's positive. We're totally. upbeat. I, yeah. I don't I'm, like people to pay full retail. I know. So that's why that's why I love this promo code because I, I, everything I do is with promo codes. I'm such a tightwad. It's like, I, 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 let me find around. Let, let me shop around here. I, I got to find a discount code. Yep. So, uh, well, the, the other, uh, you know, I, I, I yeah, Elk Talk. <laughs> You, th- you think if we told the weatherman to use promo code elk talk, he'd bring some moisture? I'm I'm really hoping our friends in Arizona and New Mexico get some moisture in the monsoon season. Yeah, so, I don't have a tag there, so I don't really care. Oh, I don't either, <laughs> but I'm I, I'm just thinking, you know, and, and next year they call me next year Newberg because I'm always confident that next year I'm uh, I'm going to get uh, get whatever tag it is. But uh, who calls you next year Newberg? Uh, I do. They? <laughs> Who's they? <laughs> I've never heard anybody call you. I've heard people call you a lot of things, but I've never heard next year Newberg. That's... Well, that's kind of my approach to drawing tags. <laughs> There's a, uh, next year. Yeah. Mm, next year. So, yeah. but, uh, have you been shooting your bow a lot? I have. Yep. Me too. I'm going to the eye doctor next week. Uh-oh. Yeah. But uh, I think we talked about, I I went last year and I got contacts and I tried wearing them around the house for a couple of days. And I thought, you know what, I'll just deal with bad vision. It's less convenient to, Mm -hmm. to uh, wear contacts, I think. So, and I talked to somebody, I said, once you start wearing readers, your vision goes like your eyes are like, they, they just, they've been straining so long and they finally get some help and they're like, we're done doing our part. You figure it out from here. So I'm not, I'm not wearing readers. I'm not wearing contacts. I'm just gonna. I don't, I don't wear readers. I have, uh, I have every need for them, Yeah, uh, but I I don't because I've heard that same thing. So, uh, but yeah, I tweaked my back the other day. (laughs) There's a problem with getting old. Uh, I got to plug in my my laptop. I got to plug it in behind the couch. So I'm running low on battery. So I plug it in and I'm like, oh, I got to run to the office and get something. So I thought, well, I'll bring my laptop with. Reach around the couch to unplug it. And I did something. I don't know what I did. But man, I just went to my knees and my lower left back. It's just like somebody jabbed me with a spear. So I'm like, dang it, that's not good. So I've been dealing with that that pinch for about five or six days. Well, two nights ago, I went out to my archery range, which my shop and a bunch of hay bales are the backstop. And I draw back and my back (laughs) gave me one of those pinches again. And I launched an arrow right through the side of my shop. (laughs) I'm glad nobody was standing in my shop. No kidding. But I can tell you this, that if my arrow goes, it's a field point, if it goes through my shop wall and hits a Yeti cooler, 
It doesn't doesn't phase anything. It's just lay, laying there on the concrete. The arrow's good. The cooler's good. Everything's yeah. everything's okay, except my back. So man, but I uh, I went uh, did all my back exercises and stuff. I was this. I'm doing really good today. So that's good. Uh, I I did give my shooting a break for a few days. So tonight I'm gonna fire up again. We'll we'll see how that goes. So don't, if if you're out south of Bozeman, don't be <laughs> be careful where you're standing. <laughs> Oh, I shouldn't say that. That sounds pretty cavalier about safety. <laughs> well, at least uh, you have a whole shop as a backstop. I mean, people yeah. can't say you can't hit the broadside of a barn because. <laughs> oh, no, I've done that many times. I was trying a new release. I was trying a thumb release one time. That's where most of the holes in my shop all came from. You, you use a trigger or a thumb release? I use a trigger. I, yeah, me too. I had some bad habits for a long time, and I, people tried to convince me to use a thumb release, and mm-hmm. I proved you can still punch a thumb release. And uh, I, I found, you know, I think rather than putting a Band-Aid on the problem, I was able to find the the main root cause and work on that and i just think for hunting man a trigger i i want to be able to pull the trigger when i need to and sometimes you do have to punch yeah. a trigger when you're hunting and you know it's obviously not something you practice for but just uh yeah there's, there's too many other variables in hunting that i don't want to wait for my back tension or thumb release to go off yeah hey uh what did you guys end up doing with your uh archery equipment restriction oh, yeah. there was some legislation last spring did you guys end up allowing lighted knocks and expandable broadheads or did that get killed oh they, they couldn't kill it it uh it went through and i think it passed almost unanimously and mm-hmm. yeah so lighted knocks and mechanical broadheads are legal in idaho which you know at the time i, I said I don't have a preference one way or another if they're legal or illegal. It's never, I've never felt like I've been, you know, restricted or hampered in my ability to shoot a bow because of either of those things. And I don't feel like having either of those things is going to make me a better hunter or, or do anything there. What the concern was is this went behind the process. I mean, they, they completely skipped the process of having a fish and game commission, which is supposed to be the ones that, you know, take the surveys, get the opinions from hunters, present that based on those surveys and data and management and all of that, and then present it to the legislators to say, hey, here's our proposal based on all of this information. Here is, is what we recommend doing. Then it goes through the legislative process. Instead of that happening, uh, a legislator who had one of his constituents who was upset that they didn't get their way just went behind the whole thing, introduced a bill, and it passed. So, wow. so next year when somebody decides that, well, it's not fair, I didn't draw my 1% tag, I'm going to go to my legislator and have him introduce bonus points or have him, you know, this is on the hunting side, but there are legislators who don't like hunting. And now they yeah. can go in there and say, oh, we can eliminate this, we can eliminate that. And man, it's just, yeah. it's a scary situation that we're, we're allowing politics so deep into the management and, and direction of hunting in all the states now that it's, it adds a little mm-hmm. bit of a uncertainty for sure. Yeah. So if people wonder why I sometimes go off the rails on my platforms, that's exactly why. 
I'm an equal opportunity abuser and I'm an equal opportunity supporter. If you're against if you're against the principles of hunting, fishing, shooting and public land, well, I don't care what party you're from. I'm coming with my pitchforks. And can I say that these days? I think so. Or should, I, should I be careful about no, that? No, I think pitchforks are still okay. Okay. Uh but, uh, and I don't, you know, if you got a good piece of legislation and you and I disagree on everything else, I'm going to be there so, to support your good piece of legislation when it comes to hunting and fishing and conservation and public land or whatever. So, but your point is, I hope, taken by people that they are so quickly moving the game from fishing game agencies and the processes that we've always used and dragging it over into state legislatures or into Congress. We got to, we got to pick up our game. We, we, as much as I know our listeners hate that stuff. I hate it. Yeah. You know, the last thing I want to do as I'm packing and getting ready to go on my elk hunt is to have to sit down and crank out an email or make a phone call to a legislator. Yep, but that you, you know think what? isn't going to get it or listen or read it anyway. But I'll tell you, uh, a concerted effort from the hunting industry, the hunting uh, community, mm-hmm. goes a long way. I mean, you and I yeah. have both got phone calls from people saying, "What did you guys do? My <laughs> inbox is flooded. My phone won't quit ringing. Yeah. You know, we're on the same side here. Quit sending these people to me." And it's like we've got to stay loud. We've got to stay, you know. Yeah speaking up because we will lose and we're seeing things coming up on, you know, there were four or five States this year that had, you know, whether it was bear hunting or hound hunting or different things that were on the ballots to be taken away from, from hunters. And it's just, we've got to stay on top of that. Yeah. That's, uh, that's just part of the new reality. So we can, we can wish for 1984, but it's just, the reality we deal with so <laughs> but and i know some of the listeners are like well what do you mean 1984 i was, I, <laughs> I was a freshman in college in 1984 so that's where that came up but, gotcha uh let's see what other question oh leftover tag options yeah you know we're reaching that point where there's uh there's some leftover tag situation they usually pop up in august uh i don't know what your idaho gig is but in montana uh the if you do get a general tag in montana you can return it before august 1st and get an 80 per, i think it's 80 percent refund <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> laughing because he, he didn't get a general tag to get a refund on well i, uh, I did that one time i wanted to get a point and the only way i could get a point was if they kept 20 percent of my right. upfront license fee i'm like are you right. kidding me that's, that's 200 that's bucks all, for a point 200 bucks come on yeah. man you know we we need that we need your money here in montana <laughs> you know so uh, we're, we'll be having that in montana if you're on that list uh Colorado in August starts there. I think they call it a reissue list. Uh, Nevada starts what's called a first come first serve list. Um, I don't know that Wyoming, Idaho, or New Mexico have any type of reissue or, or other list or, or Oregon, but yeah, Idaho's oh, got uh, so Idaho. Yeah, 
Idaho uh, does, I know. You know, we've, we've, we've gone to the non-resident uh, limits and that whole debacle that Idaho, you know, I thought for sure they would change it after the first year, but no, they kept it just the same. You go into your little <laughs> waiting room and here we'll give you a random number and your random yeah. number is 11,000. So that means there's 11,000 people in front of you and they get to go into the line yep. first and choose their tags. And then if there's anything left, you get to go, which is nothing more than a lottery. It's a random number that you get. Yep. And so it's, it's a draw no matter how you look at it. But with that being said, any tags that get turned back in, and there's a lot of, a lot of times that does, you know, with uh, the results for the, the big game draw for deer elk, everything came out uh, just a week or two ago. Mm-hmm. And anyone who drew a controlled hunt, that maybe bought a general tag, you know, a, a, one of the over-the-counter tags, uh, they'll turn that back in, and so that shows back up. So then they do it once a month on, I think it's the third Tuesday of each month, they will post the list of what's available, and then on that next Thursday, it'll be first come, first serve. I think it starts at 10 o'clock Mountain Time on their website that you can log in. And I don't know, I haven't gone through the process. You might get a waiting room number in there again. So it's not truly (laughs) first come, first serve. It's first one there gets first chance at getting a random number. But um, that list, so for July, it'll be July 21st. And that will be uh, when those go on sale. So that's a Thursday morning. So on the 19th, they'll publish the list of what's available. And then on the 21st, you'll be able to go in and, and purchase leftovers. So that happens once a month in Idaho. Wow. So I guess the point of that is, folks, there are opportunities if you're sitting without a tag right now. But you got to be on the ball. And, you know, by the time August rolls around, a lot of people have to – they've already had to put in for their vacation time and, uh, the, you know, their plans kind of set out. So it, it may not be an option, but it is an option if you can make it work. Uh, and go to each state, go to their website, read the rules of how it works. Because if we think that their drawing systems are, are unique to each other and different, uh, they, I think they went to different planets to dream up their reissue processes because they, none of them are even close to similar. But, oh well, that's how the rules are. We don't write the rules. We just try our best <laughs> to figure them out and, and, and try to go hunting. Try to know. stay on top of them because they change so much. But. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. You want to know what's going on in my lovely state of Montana? Uh, I don't know if I do or not, but I think you're going to tell us. Yeah. Well, we have a citizens advisory uh, committee, an elk management citizens committee. Uh, I've talked to quite a few of the folks on that committee. I submitted my comments and they came out with their first primary recommendation this week. And it is related to elk and it would be choose your weapon. (laughs) So right now, Montana you're allowed on your general tag, you get six weeks of archery that always starts the first Saturday in September, runs for six weeks. We give the elk four or five days off and then rifle season cranks up for five weeks. That always ends the Saturday after or the Sunday after Thanksgiving. So for out there for public comment, if you want to comment, you should be doing that and probably should have been doing that. Uh, 
go in and see if you think that's going to solve some of the issues that that you feel need to be addressed with Montana uh, elk hunting. So, so with the general elk license, right now you get to hunt with both archery and rifle for a very liberal season. Yeah, and, and, under that you, get, proposal, and you yeah, and you get. I forget about this because it's only two years old. You get ten days of muzzleloader in December. <laughs> that is, but they added even more liberal, and now yeah. they're looking at taking it away. So, yeah, basically, you know, Idaho did that several years ago. We used to be able to hunt archery season, and then if we didn't get anything, we could go out during the rifle season. And then they changed to the A tag B tag system, which A tag is primarily if you buy a an elk A tag. You primarily are going to be focused on traditional hunting, muzzleloader, archery. You might have mm-hmm. some opportunity in there uh, for a rifle, you know, some kind of a, a limited opportunity for hunting spikes with a rifle in, you know, October or something. But mm-hmm. for the most part, it's it's archery oriented. And then the B tag is mostly your general rifle type seasons where you get more opportunity for rifle hunting for elk. And you still might get, you know, archery opportunity for spikes and cows in September or a muzzleloader opportunity for antlerless in November. Uh, But it's pretty much, you know, there was the same conversation of let's make people choose which weapon they want to hunt with primarily. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's, there's pros and cons for sure. I think for anybody that's been a part of the system, it's, you know, things are being taken away and it, it seems like you're going to be restricted. Um, so you, you kind of do have to choose. And again, Mm -hmm. it goes back to what we've been talking about We're we're losing opportunities and our fishing game agencies are trying to find ways to allow us to still have some opportunity, knowing that the opportunity that we've been used to probably is going to be decreased. Yeah. And that's the, you know, a function of a lot of things uh, within these states that are growing really fast. In Montana, you know, I looked at when I moved here, I think, our population was 860,000. Now we're 1.1 million. So what's that? 240,000. So in 30 years, the population has increased 30%. So, you know, it's, uh, I, I, I don't know what the answers are, to be honest with you, Corey. I, I give my comments, I weigh in on all this stuff and, you know, I'm, I'm kind of at a different, different point in my hunting life where, you know, I, I feel blessed to have had all the opportunity that I've had. And I feel blessed that I got to hunt through the period of time when the United States had a hundred million fewer citizens that were crammed in. And, you know, the population of all these states were lower. There were just a whole lot of things. And so how, how are we going to combat that? We're not, we, I don't know how, can you run all those new people out of Idaho? I can I run them like, straight to Montana. <laughs> so I, my my point of that is, it, it would be nice to say, well, this is how it used to be. And that was how it used to be. But people in this country have the freedom to move wherever they want. And, you know, there's always, <laughs> this has been a little bit of a, a tongue-in-cheek statement that residents of the Western states have always said, well, if you don't like it, just move here. 
<laughs> you know, if you, if you don't like these non-resident allocations, how Idaho only gives 10%, why don't you just move here? You know, be like us. We pay all these taxes. Well, guess what? They're moving there. So <laughs> it's, be careful what you ask for, I guess, is the answer to that one, right? Yep. But, so totally. there's, uh, there's just all this stuff going on, and it's creating a lot of friction. And uh, for me, I don't... Uh, I can't let it take away from the fact that I'm going to try find a place to go out hunting and I don't need to go a place that takes 30 points or that's 3% draw odds this year by design. I, I knew I was going to end up with mostly over the counter leftover and general tags. And when I sat down with my crew, we said, all right, last year we had a goat tag. We had a moose tag. We had some stuff where people probably think, oh, that's the kind of, that's a normal year of hunting. No, a normal year of hunting is you go (laughs) scratch it out on the public land with your general tag. Sometimes it's a leftover tag. Sometimes it's just a cow tag. It's an over-the-counter tag. So that's, I don't have my Wyoming, my one Wyoming tag is a general elk tag. And yeah, it takes whatever we said, three or four points to draw four points. I think we had, uh, and then I have my Montana general elk tag. If I end up with an elk tag anywhere else, it's going to be an over the counter leftover reissue tag that somebody didn't want. Yeah. I have a, I have an Idaho deer tag that you guys were still selling whitetail tags way after the December 1st day. Yeah. You said that you said you might end up number 11,000 in line. The last two years I've been in the 14,000. It's like Corey Jacobson must have told the system, Hey, this is Newberg's IP address. You know, put, it, put him to the very back end. Keep of it 11,000 plus. Yeah. So my, my point of all that is there's still places to go. And I want our platforms this year to show that you just, you still go make the best of it. Yep. You know, th- there are places to do it, things to do. So get with it. And uh, don't get me wrong. If ever I draw another one of those glory tags, I'm going to be happy. But <laughs> n- not b- a year without one of them isn't like a lost season or, no. you know, a, a, a ruined year. I, I almost, uh, I'm, I'm dreading, I mean, as sad as it sounds, um, I don't know if it's just pressure and it's not like there's anybody putting pressure. I'm not even putting pressure on myself, but just the thought that I spent 18 points on a Colorado elk tag is almost taking some of the excitement out of having a, a better than over the counter type tag. And, uh, you know, there's, I think you, you go into an over the counter hunt with that idea of it's going to be tough. I'm going to have to work my tail off. And then when good things happen, it's exciting. Yeah. And with a, yeah. you know, a glory tag, it's almost the opposite of you go into it with so much anticipation that no matter what happens, it's almost a letdown. And so <laughs> you, you see that coming and then you almost start talking yourself down and man, we need to, we need, I think elk hunters need psychologists just to help them through <laughs> application and planning season, let alone the disappointment oh. that comes during the hunt. <laughs> well, I'll let you work on the psychology part. I'll work on the marriage advice part. Okay. All right. Well, you'll get in a lot more trouble than I will. (laughs) Yep, I I will. (laughs) Uh, But, uh, yep, 
I hope everybody realizes there there are still a few of those options out there. Yeah, yeah, they may not be what your preferred option was, but every year that you sit home is a is a year you don't get back. Yep. And I is there well, I shouldn't say this. I was about ready to say at least every state in the union you can get an over the counter deer tag, but that's Nevada you gotta draw, Utah you gotta draw, Colorado you gotta draw, but there are plenty of leftovers. New Mexico, you got to draw Arizona. So I guess absent some of the Western states, so the traveling non-resident who's wanting to come out west elk hunting, you still have deer hunting in, in your home state, probably. Um, you know, make the most of that. Don't, uh, I, I just see the, the angst and the frustration yeah. that, well, I didn't draw my tag this year. You know what? Most years, most, tags i apply for i don't draw either no i just so i hope hope people will go and do it because there's still well and we've been talking you know you and i have talked for years go do it you know what what's your comment you're going to run out of health before you run out of money yep so just go do it don't wait any longer and you know, I think that if we're definitely, you know, people blame us for part of the problem of you're bringing all these people into hunting and that's creating all the demand, you know, the pandemic that created all this demand, the wolves killed all the elk. And so the pie, you know, got cut in half, all these, all these different things, mm-hmm. just go and do it, you know, do right. your, give back, find a way to give back, be involved in conservation and, we're going to have to just do the best we can with whatever is, is handed to us. You know, that's just the, yeah. the reality of it. So we, I mean, and we have, you know, we, we share a lot of the, what I would consider to be negative talk, you know, Hey, we're mm-hmm. losing opportunity here, all of that. We don't do it to be negative. We do it to open you know, people's understanding that, Hey, we've got to get involved. We are losing this stuff. We're losing opportunity. Let's, let's make it better. Uh, yeah. but it's not bad. It's not, you know, things aren't bad yet. <laughs> let's don't let them get there. But, but yeah, don't, don't sit on the sidelines and hang your head and say, oh, I'm just throwing in the towel. It's no use anymore. Yeah. There's still plenty of opportunity. You just have to dig a little harder to find it. You have to work a little harder to get it. It might not be an every year opportunity for somebody coming from out of state for much longer, but you're still going to have opportunities. Yeah. Well, for, my own perspective, if I want to just look at elk, when, the first year I bought a Montana elk license in 1992, I had to draw for a cow tag. They were hard to come by. The draws for a cow tag were 20, 30%. <laughs> now they call them B tags, like Bravo. Yeah. And I can buy a whole bunch of them, just drive down, get a second elk tag. So. Okay, you know, there are more hunters in the woods. And I didn't draw my glory tag here in Montana, but I have a general tag, and I can go get a cow tag if I want. So uh, it's like, okay, throw a little bit of cold water on me if I start complaining here. And it's, it's, you know, I got to wake up a little bit. So, uh, but talking about, you know, doing what you can uh, to make it a better place, I think – you're going to be there next week. I'm going to be there next week. Park City, yeah. Utah, the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation is having their uh, elk camp and mountain summit and total archery challenge and all kinds of stuff going on there. 
Yeah. Uh, I don't even uh, know what all's going on. I haven't even seen the list yet. What What are we signed up to do? Oof. We got a live podcast on Saturday, you and I, after you... I, I think they're don't, you're don't supposed even to. Don't say. Aren't, don't just, you, aren't, don't aren't say after any. Quiet. Right. <laughs> Saturday afternoon, we have a a live podcast. You were going to mm-hmm. jinx me there. Okay. What uh, Thursday? We've got something going on Thursday, don't we? Some, Do we have a storytelling? I was going to say a storyteller the, hour or something through. When is that on Thursday? That's I don't know. <laughs> I better look that up because I don't get into town till like one o'clock. Yeah, hopefully it's in the evening because I'm driving in too, so it's going to be. Whew, Boy, if, that that could be a big big problem. If I'm going to have to change my airline ticket, I'm I'm. If I did that wrong, boy, I'm going to really give a. Oh no, it's five thirty. Five thirty on Thursday. Yeah, right. it's a MC event for. It's brought to you by Outdoor Class, which Corey has a course. I have a course. Uh, Jamie has a course. Remy Warren has a course. Yeah. Uh, use that promo code Elkdog and save twenty percent. But uh, yeah, so. Thursday evening, five thirty. So Boy, I better not story, have a late storyteller night. So uh, I'm yeah. guessing that we're just going to sit there and let you do the talking. <laughs> oh, I'm, not, I'm not much of a storyteller, so I don't know what uh, what they're gonna what their plan is for that. But they just told us to be there and be prepared. So Thursday yeah. nights at the uh, World Elk Calling Championship preliminaries are on Friday. Mm. Uh, okay. you're, are you emceeing that again? Uh, they're having me emcee the championship round Saturday morning. Okay. Uh, and then we got our live podcast. So, folks, if you're there, you do the you get to listen to the live version, ask your questions live, and then we record it, and then we obviously drop it here on the podcast. Uh, and then I got to emcee the evening event Saturday night, which. Boy, that could be a train wreck. I don't know why they have me MC things. That's I can ruin someone's brand in less than a half hour. So. <laughs> if, Elk, if Elk Foundation membership goes from two hundred forty thousand down to one hundred twenty thousand, blame it on me. That's right. Oh. But I usually show up with a cooler full of dilly bars, so that I think buys back at least some of the people. You know, this one's, a, I don't know what it is in Utah. It's, there's a there's a Dairy Queen right down at the bottom of the hill. They, they Every time I call, I'm like, hey, can I get a couple hundred dilly bars? They're like, we don't have a couple hundred dilly bars. I'm like, well, <laughs> fine, whatever. But uh, the next week, are you going to be in, in Montana for the Total Archery Challenge? Well, I'm not 100% yet. Okay. I'm, uh, I planned on it, but our family vacation is kind of hitting that same mm-hmm. week. And yeah. I don't want to I don't want to short my family vacation <clears throat> nope. for that. No. So Don't want to do that. See. Okay. We're going to tie it into it and stop by there on the way back, but it might cut uh, us a little short. So, uh, don't don't mess up family vacations. Oh no! <clears throat> you want to hear my family vacation plan? Yeah, I'd be interested. What is it? So we <clears throat> are. Uh, <laughs> uh, my kids they uh, they come up with the craziest ideas, but they have never been in a motorhome, and they. 
all they see is novelty when you mention motorhome because they get to sit at a kitchen table while dad sits in the driver's seat and navigates this monster RV down the road. And all they can think of is, I don't have to sit in a boring car. I get to sit at a table and look out the window from an RV. So they've been begging for years. We just want to go on an RV vacation. We want to drive somewhere in an RV. So (laughs) I'm going to be rolling up to Park City at the Total Archery Challenge in an RV with my family. And from there, we are road tripping up to Glacier National Park. And we're going to spend the week up at Glacier in an RV and then uh, head back home. So we're taking a road trip in an RV that gets somewhere south of 11 miles per gallon when gas is somewhere north of $5 per gallon. Uh, This will not be... If yeah. you get double double digit miles per gallon, you got a good RV, Corey. And we did. It's, it's just a smaller oh. little Winnebago, twenty four foot. Uh, okay. It's on the Ford E three fifty platform, and uh, but yeah, we're uh, we're road tripping in a in an RV. First time for me. First time for them. And if uh, I th- I'm pretty sure that there will be some uh, frayed nerves by the end of the drive if I have to drive to Utah and then from Utah to Glacier in uh, something much larger than I'm comfortable and used to driving. Well, everybody who's been on a RV road trip is making a note saying, I'm going to tune into that next Elk Talk podcast when Corey gives the download of how that just, how that went. <laughs> Full report will be coming, Yes. Yeah, I see can how I, well. The- can I give a teaser for our next podcast too? I've got some. I've got some topics that I think. Uh, oh, people might yeah, find I interesting. Sure. What yeah. would it be? Well, so they, you know, I drew a, a tag in Colorado, and I'm going to hunt yep. the 16th through the 24th. I think are the dates. Mm-hmm. Uh, my my. My platform and calendar for going hunting is I usually go on an elk hunt, then I'm home for a week, then I go on an elk hunt, then I'm home for a week. So I get to go on two hunts in September, and mm-hmm. that way I'm not away from home too much, and I still get to to be an active parent for half of yeah. the month. Uh, so that means that calendar-wise, uh, the first week of September is, is when I do my first hunt. And mm. since we didn't draw anything or pick up anything anywhere we'll be hunting over the counter in idaho so our plan as of right now is to hunt opening day which is august 30th through uh september 6th i think is the time for wow so i have i was with you and and stocked in on an elk didn't use any calls stocked in on it in new mexico shot an elk Mm -hmm. there uh we've shadowed elk and not used calls but followed them as they're calling and and got in for a shot we've done a lot of calling i have never sat over water and hunted elk so we're going to set out trail cameras and try to pattern a couple of the more mature bulls in the high country before they leave the high country and head out looking for cows. And uh, so, you know, brand, and people, you know, they're always asking, hey, my only vacation time is the first week of season or, you know, in, in Utah, season opens August 18th or whatever. How do you hunt these elk the first two weeks of season? Uh, so we're going to 
we're going to hmm. learn. I mean, I've never done it. Wow. And so it's going to be a, there will be a learning process. I'm excited to put out some trail cameras and find some water holes, uh, whether we end up sitting in ground blinds or packing in tree stands, but we're going to go back in, in the back country again and do some hunting there early season. Now, the disclaimer is first bugle I hear while I'm sitting in a tree stand, I'm jumping, <laughs> I'm jumping out of the tree and running after it with my bugle tube in my hand. But, uh, I could see that. I, I, I notice how you reserve the right to yep. go do that. No, yeah. I, I've been doing a lot of sitting, wa- sitting of water. A lot. Really? Yeah. The walleye fishing has been so good the last few weeks. <laughs> <laughs> that's about the only sitting of water I can tolerate and I can even think of. But with that being said, you know, there, there are a lot of people that hunt that way or oh, yeah. would be um, effective hunting that way. And so, you know, I think as part of our education platform, uh, it, it would do me some good to get that firsthand experience and share what I learned. Uh, there will yeah. be some things that I learn about, you know, what time of day do elk come into water holes? Is it, you know, mm-hmm. are they wallowing or are they watering? Uh, do they yep. come in morning and night? You know, there's a lot of things that I'm going to learn about it. A lot of those details that hopefully will help others, especially in places like Utah and things that have earlier seasons where you don't get to hunt the peak of the rut. Mm-hmm. Uh, hopefully it'll, it'll be a benefit to somebody. And hopefully yeah. well, we get a fill a tag. I hope so. And you know, it's interesting you bring that up because the place where I sent you in trail uh, to elk hunt, <laughs> uh, not too far from there. I hunt a different area in archery season, not too far from there. About every every other year, every third year, I bump into this group of guys from North Dakota. And they're hunting from tree stands because they're, yeah. they're whitetail hunters. And they are, they got to be the most patient guys in the world because they have a lot of success. Their success is probably higher than the residents who live down there or who live where I do. And we go to go there and we chase bugles. Yep. These guys, they, it's like, no, we patterned them. And, and I think they were, they've been doing it for a long time. Uh, and, uh, they they have remarkable success. You know, the, you think about the traits of whitetail hunting that are really helpful for archery elk hunting. Yeah. Scent control. Yeah. Wind management. Yep. Uh, the, those are like primary right at the top. And those guys are really good at that. Yep. So how do you put yourself between where the elk is and where the elk is going? They figured that out too, and they <laughs> they do remarkable. It's so yep. I, what kind of piqued my interest in it is you know last year we hunted a brand new area, and we went over and scouted it. I think it was like August fourteenth, thirteenth, fourteenth. So I mean it was a late scouting trip for what I usually like to do, and we mm-hmm. saw a really big bull in velvet just laying out on an open hillside middle of the day in the heat, and mm-hmm. had I think we had two trail cameras. And so up high, you know, I usually put trail cameras where I'm going to find the cows. And then, uh, you know, that's where I target middle of September because that's where the bulls end up. But we put trail cameras up high, more thinking we saw this one bull. Here's a water hole a half mile away. Maybe he's using this water hole and we'll get some good pictures of this really nice bull. 
What I didn't expect was the 11 or 12 bulls that we got on that trail camera over the next two weeks. And they left about September 2nd, disappeared. So we got to go watch them go from being velvet antlered to coming into that water hole, hard antlered. Uh, we got to hear a little bit of vocalization. We got to see bulls sparring there at that water hole, doing a little bit of fighting. Uh, but then they disappeared. So my thought was when I saw that, I thought, man, if we wanted to target a big bull, those first three days of season over a water hole is probably a pretty mm. effective strategy. <clears throat> and yeah. I don't I don't see myself sitting in a tree stand for eight straight days on this hunt. But I think mm-hmm. the first day or two of season, if those bulls are still coming into to water holes, I think there's a chance to find a mature bull. And like you said, I, I, I think... If I was to, if I was a betting man, I would say that if you can pattern an elk and hunt them early in a tree stand, you're going to be more efficient than probably any other method. And when it yeah. comes to cows and calves, I think it increases. You know, I think you can target them early in the season and and hunt them because they're pretty patternable for the first week of September. So, I'm a uh, I'll find out. I might get my rear end handed to me and be like, that is the most boring, least efficient (laughs) way that I'll ever hunt elk and I'll never hunt them again. But I might be onto something and that might be my go-to the first couple days of season when I get too old to run after a bugle. So is that the teaser for the next podcast or did you just... Yeah, I, I think that's a teaser. That, but... Is you know, I'm going to go through my strategy and what I did okay. to e-scout this area and what I'm uh-huh. doing with trail cameras and share some of those yeah. details. Well, I'd be in a in a bind if I tried to do that because I don't own a tree stand and I don't own a trail camera. Yeah, well, I just ordered trail cameras and uh, <laughs> I have a climbing tree stand that I've used for bear hunting. <laughs> Uh, I've never mm-hmm. used it for elk hunting. And I've seen these okay. saddles. People keep talking about these yeah, saddles. So saddle. I'm going to do a little research yeah. on saddles, but I, I get saddle <clears throat> sore really easy. So I'm not yeah. sure if I want to spend spend a few no. hours standing in a tree with a diaper on connected to some yeah. straps. But. Well, the, the, there is uh, a powder out there for that that one of my friends uses. It's called uh, Monkey Butt. I think it's called. <laughs> no, it's for this guy. He's got serious shaving problems. He's like, I don't know why or what. And he showed me this yellowish container called Monkey Butt. Hmm. Yeah. So, <laughs> they have a promo code, Randy or Elk Talk no, for that. <laughs> we, we don't. Not uh, yet. Uh, not yet. I guess maybe uh, if you're uh, if you're a purveyor of Monkey Butt powder, uh, well, we'll we'll take a promo code. I'll tell you what, you maybe. If I get to a point where I am chafing from sitting, it won't That's be problems. bugles that gets me out of the tree. I, <laughs> I will not sit. I will hike and chafe. I will not sit and chafe. That's yeah. that's not going to happen. Yeah. Oh, it's it's an unfortunate story. I have another friend who drew like the best tag you could imagine. Uh, but he gets chafed really bad. And by like day two or three, he couldn't even walk. Man. And he laid in camp for the next three or four days <laughs> and trying to heal up and he's got the, the glory tags of glory tags but i'll tell oh, you what i i do feel for people who chafe because i have never experienced it until we hunted yeah. alaska last year and we were so okay. wet for so long that oh, yeah. 
you know, and, and hiking in steep country that there was rubbing taking place in places I didn't think could <laughs> rub together. And man, it, it wore, and I'll tell you what, I've had blisters, I've had burns, all of that. I don't know if I've ever felt sharp pain, like chafing when you get that chafing, huh. you know, really? front of my leg from, you know, the pant leg being wet and just rubbing right there and yeah. things like that. It was just, yeah, it was painful. I've never had that that problem, so I'm I'm hoping that I never do end up with it. But uh, uh, so, I, <clears throat> your University of Elk Hunting course, are you going to add a, a, a section then about tree stand hunting or hunting over water? That, so there's that... a section in there on uh, you know under our miscellaneous strategies oh, okay. uh, that we talk about. You know, sometimes calling just doesn't work. Sometimes you know maybe calling's not your style. So there mm-hmm. is information in there. Uh, I am excited to add to that information and you know yeah. have detailed firsthand uh, experience that I can share. And, and I think you know. I can figure it out. You know, I wrote about it, but I've never done it. I've never climbed a tree and said, this is the kind of water hole that works. I put tree, trail cameras on it and I've got pictures of elk. So I can theorize that, yeah, this is where you'd want to do it. But now I'm going to actually go out and do it. And so I think there'll be a lot that I can add to that based on what we learned this year. Yeah. Cool. Well, uh, I would suggest that people go to your University of Elk Hunting course and get way more information than they're ever going to get in this podcast. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and you'll give them a you'll give them a discount if they use promo code Elk Doc, right? That's right. Yeah, twenty dollars right. off. All right. Elk yeah. And there's always com. there's always cool stuff coming up, you know, that members have opportunities yeah. for. So we've got one. Uh, you and I will be doing a an elk camp two day event in Bozeman in August, right? Yep. Yeah. I'm well, I'm waiting to hear the details on that. Well, I've they, got some... they gave you all the details. They just called me and said, "Hey, are you going to be in town that weekend?" I'm like, <laughs> "Yeah, why?" Oh, good. We got you chalked up for that. Yeah. Well, and then I'm watching on your social media channel. I'm like, "Wait, Corey's got a lot more details than I got." I, but I don't know. Maybe they just need someone to run and get it, you know, get people coffee in the morning and you know whatever. Maybe that's hey, my job. So. There you go. But it's sold out. You know, all the, all the seats are filled. But uh, Elk One Hundred One. Oh, yeah, it, it's sold out fairly quickly. Oh, what, hold on here. Yeah, they're 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 selling seats for this. Mm-hmm. Only twelve seats. Only twelve people get to go to this. So you and I and and Mark. Livesey are going to be basically presenting as much information as we can in a two-day period at this elk camp. So it's sold out, but Elk 101, I had an idea, and I said, I'm going to buy one of those seats. So Elk 101 bought a seat, and uh-huh. uh, we, we own the 12th seat, and we are going to give it to a, an active member of the University of Elk Hunting online course. And pay well, that's for their, kind of you. Yeah, pay for their airfare and their hotel and their uh, their seat at this very limited event. And so twelve are, people. Yeah, there's only twelve people. Yeah, so we're going to be in a little classroom. And I mean, for my part, we're doing some elk calling stuff. So everybody there gets an elk calling package, and we're going to put it in our mouths. And it's nice having a little group because you're able to work with people almost one on one in that setting. So. 
do you know what they have me presenting? Like yeah. marriage advice for elk hunters <laughs> or what? Well, I, I saw that you were on the grill part of the day cooking walleye. And, okay. uh, and then I got some of those. Okay, perfect. Let's see. What else have you always teased me with and never provided? Um, oh, the, oh, sorry. This, this might be my list that I'm coming up with here. But uh, how, how to send your <laughs> friends on a wild goose chase if they ask for too much elk hunting information. Yeah. No, um, I think uh, Mark's going to be doing a bunch of info on e-scouting. E-scouting. And, and then I think they have you slated to do some uh, talking about where you find elk in different seasons and how to how to okay. find elk. So, huh? Yeah. Well, maybe I should answer my voicemails. I got a bunch of voicemails from Bryce and all those guys at Peaks. Yeah, you know, uh, they probably just assumed that I'd tell you. Oh, I no, probably should. Well, there you hear it, folks. I, I I heard it at the same time Corey did. So, but there's just but, an incentive to being a member of the. University of Elkhart online courses. They're going to pay like their that. airline, their airfare. Have you seen what airfares are to Bozeman lately? Yeah, I did. <laughs> when, cool. when I had this idea, they were about half of what they are now. So, yeah. But it's going to be a yeah. very short window. Um, members are going to be able to sign up just at elk101.com. It's only members. They're the only ones that are going to have a link. And they have to be available for those dates. Obviously, we don't want just everybody jumping in there. But if you're available mm -hmm. and open, I think it's the 13th and 14th of August, and you're a member, then you get to, okay. get to jump in there. So if you're not a member, you can sign up using code ELKTALK. And the 18th through the 20th of July will be the open window when active members can sign up to win that trip. 18th, 19th, and 20th of July. Yeah. So I, better right, right to, I, I better get this <laughs> to the editor and get this posted up on our, our you know, platform. You already so. told me. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be happening as people are listening to this. So real time. All right. Okay. I I am so far out of the loop, Corey. I I got all these people running around here telling me, hey, you need to film this, need to film that. I I feel like I'm just a, like the fat lady at the Barnum and Bailey Circus or something. You know? It's like, <laughs> hey, you know, come see the freak show here. Oh, right? just, you might camera. need to explain that that analogy, but now we go. You're, you're the freak yeah, show. Gotcha. Yeah. So, anyhow. Can we have, have we left them with enough today that they're probably shaking their head saying, I'm going to send these guys a bill for an hour and a half of my time. <laughs> well, let's do this. Let's uh, let's promise them that we won't go into debate on political stuff or nope. anything. Next, next podcast, we're going to talk about some early season hunting strategies and okay. Uh, okay. Some, some tactical and, stuff for the upcoming season. Okay, and I want to go. I want. I want to touch on this logging area that I've been filming in this year. So they they logged it last year. It needed Ooh. logging and thinning. So it's not like Moonscape. It's like selectively thinned. And I hadn't seen it. It's a place I hike quite a bit. I hadn't seen an elk in there for forever. This summer, with the moisture we had, the amount of forbs growing in there is like off the charts. So we're in there filming this stuff saying, okay, now look at the aspect ratio of this slope. It kind of runs northwest. Here's what it looked like. Here's another northwest slope back before we, they logged it. Look, there's nothing here. Look at this northwest facing slope. It is full of forbs. And you see where it rolls to the straight north. Yeah, they logged it out. But look how tall those grasses are. 
And how much snow do you think it would take to cover up these grasses? A lot. So where are these elk going to go when it snows? This right north, there. this northwest running slope that has a bit of a roll to the north that doesn't get direct sunlight, like green as green gets, and it's going to stay green for a long time. So maybe I'll add some of those things. Yeah. Speaking of that, let's. Uh, I, I saw an interesting study, and it's an older one, but it was uh, in Bugle magazine in the recent. Mm-hmm issue that came out about the Starkey Experimental Forest. And I, you yep. know, I've known about Starkey forever in Oregon. What yep. I didn't realize is that they took these tame elk out of Starkey and took them into different areas and sat beside them and watched what they actually ate, like the preferred mm-hmm. leaves, the preferred forbs, all of that. Yep. That was fascinating to me, you know, based mm-hmm. on our discussion we had a couple podcasts ago about you doing a detailed dive into what elk <laughs> eat and what they prefer. And then I saw that and thought, Oh, that is, that's some more gold waiting right there. So we need to talk about that a little more. Yeah. Well, what you're, that's one of my greatest resources is all the stuff that comes out of Starkey. And not most, but a lot of that, the two primary funding sources for that are uh, the Forest Service, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. Yeah, they have their own herd of elk and they have people walking along beside them watching these elk graze at all different times of the year on all different kinds of landscapes, recording what the elk passes by to get to something else. <laughs> I mean, are, are, can you have any more accurate information? Oh, my goodness. I, I mean, that's a dream. I've thought about how cool it would be. I didn't realize they actually did that where they take, and they take them out of Oregon. They take them to other Mm -hmm. states and say, you know, the managers in those other states say, we want to know what food elk prefer. Mm -hmm. They call up Starkey. They load up a trailer full of these tame elk and take them over there and just sit there and record what they eat. And I mean, Mm -hmm. could you imagine the info you could collect? That's just, yeah. They've, they've collected it. I can they've imagine because it. I have read a lot of it. Yeah. So my crew, this is another side note here. My crew wonders why I panic when my laptop is just temporarily not in my possession. <laughs> I have this Word document. I, I don't have it out on Google Docs because that's shareable. Yeah. This is like if I ever die... This is going to be one of the probably one of the most valuable parts of my estate. I have this multiple page Google Doc that has a link to pretty much every elk study I've ever read. And I've got it categorized by studies on hunting pressure, on, you know, food types, you know, drought conditions, blah, 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 blah. Starkey makes up a whole lot of those links. I bet. So, yeah, yeah. Cool. Someday, if you're a good enough friend, I'll share that document. I was going to say, I think that's what you're sharing at the uh, Peaks Elk Camp. No, and I'm no. pretty sure that one, some walleye. What else do I need from Randy? Uh, oh, your I'll, secret grouse recipe. No, I'm not sharing that one either because everyone heckled <laughs> me about it. So. <laughs> But anyhow, next yeah. I guess next time we'll you'll have already had we'll have we'll be rolling through the mountain ops special where people go in bows, coolers, save thirty percent, get free shipping, and then we'll already know who you're bringing to Bozeman for the Peaks Elk Camp or whatever yeah. it's called. So, yep, yeah. we might even know who the world champion elk caller is 
at that point. Oh yeah, well. we will know by then. See, you just jinxed yourself. So. No, I did not. We, I just said we're going to know who it is. All right. So, well, Corey, stay cool. It's yeah. hot out there. It is, but it is elk brutal. season's just around the corner. So, a few yeah. more weeks of this heat, and we'll be. Uh, Stomping through crunchy, frosty, cool <laughs> ground, chasing bugles again. Yeah. Well, I can't wait to go do that. Yep. In the meantime, everybody have a great, great week or two till we talk to them the next time. Sounds good. Thanks, folks. We'll catch you next time.